Welcome to Grantmaker Coffee Talks, a podcast for grantmakers to listen and learn from their peers. In this episode, we're continuing the conversation on how COVID-19 has affected the world of grantmaking. This discussion comes from a webinar that was recorded on April 16th. The topics covered were grantee financial sustainability and adjusting grantmaking in 2020. All right, let's join the conversation. The first voice we are going to hear is Aaron Spevicek, who was our webinar moderator, followed by Ben Cameron from the Jerome Foundation. Let's start with, how are you assisting grantees with their immediate financial sustainability? So let's go ahead and, I've got a couple of hands raised, let's go ahead and get that conversation going and hear from people in the group. I'm from the Jerome Foundation in St. Paul, Minnesota. Um, I think we're doing pretty much what's considered standard, at least in our part of the country. We've relaxed all our reporting requirements for grantees. Uh, we, we make only two-year grants, and we had just determined a big batch of grants in January. We've announced to everyone who got that most recent batch of two-year grants that all of the first year of their funding, they have the option to use for general operating support. So that's about $2.5 million worth there. We shipped uh, directly to all the artists we fund because we fund artists. Uh, we sent them $2,000 in direct emergency relief funding. Uh, we reaffirmed to all grantees in all categories that we could guarantee that we would honor all commitments for the next two years. Uh, and we also then joined four collaborative funding efforts organized by consortia of grant makers to support artists and arts organizations in Minnesota and New York City, which are the two places we fund. So, Ben, can I just ask you while we've got you, Please. how much of that was out of character, if I can say that, for, for you as a funder? Was this all new? Were those things you've been talking about anyway? Um, uh, not entirely. Um, uh, you know, we, we have fellowships with artists, so we have a long history in funding them. You know, uh, what was really informative to us is we have actually grounded our long-term planning as of several years ago, not so much in mission-based considerations, but value-based considerations. Uh, one of our core values we've always defined is humility, which in part we say that means that the field knows more about what they need than we know. And our job is to channel to them the resources that we have as best we can. Uh, I think the, the discussion really began with a conversation around what does radical trust mean in this moment? And if that's really our core value and this is what people need, we should trust them to use the money in the most appropriate way. We had been, I think over the last few years, we've been moving closer and closer to uh, uh, general operating support as an ongoing practice because our fellowships are unrestricted for the most part. And we've asked, shouldn't we show organizations the same trust we show artists? But I think this expedited a journey we were already on. What will be interesting is on the far side of this, will that stick or will we go back to old sure. behavior? Yeah. We hear from where we sit talking to clients about their software that there's often a connection between questions that they're putting in software and these larger concerns the board has. In fact, one of the things that we can do as a vendor is sort of help you as a grant maker operationalize or articulate the big picture concerns in a way that then this becomes reportable data. Mm -hmm. And that's sort of, you know, obviously our very particular take on it. But what strikes me is that there's a real connection between the values that you bring into your grant making and your response. Um, 
I, you know, we've heard about funders shifting to new types of funding, but I think in every case that I've heard it, now that I think about it, they've probably got a value they can lean on to, to, to balance it out with or to, to, to guide them through that, which may, may make, uh, make those decisions easier or at least help you narrow down the options. I appreciate you sharing that. Yeah, sure. I mean, the last two things I'll say really quick and I'll yield the floor. One is um, uh, because we were very clear on the values, it made our response easy to mobilize very quickly. So we came up with this response in the first two weeks of March when the, when the virus was fairly new. And, and had we not had the clarity around the values, I think it would have taken us a lot longer uh, to think about that and to operationalize it. Um, but I think that's, and I can't remember what my second point was, but, but oh, the other quick thing is because we average, like many people may, over three years of, of, of assets, we also consciously recognized, and one of the things we said is, if we remember well from 2008 what happened, what we remembered was in the flush of an emergency, there were a lot of donors who stepped forward in the short term and said they sort of dug deep, but who saw that as a one-time extension and a year later said, well, we already gave you money for that. You should have fixed it by now, even though things weren't fixed. So we deliberately said, let's have a deeper discussion a year from now about what we might want to do additionally, and if we want to go beyond our 5%. But if we exploit our full ability now, there won't be anything we can do a year from now when the unforeseen needs have arisen. So we've elected to, to uh, uh, calculate our response to play the long game. No, that makes sense. I think um, one of the topics we could even talk about is just strictly lessons learned from 2007, 2008. Uh, but that's an interesting one. Um, let's move on. And tech, take our next contribution. Hi, um, I'm Allison, and I work for the Community Foundation of Mendocino County. And um, so we've done several things to help with our um, grantees' immediate needs. The first was sending $65,000 around the county out in immediate food relief grants. Um, we're in a very rural area, and so people are very... Um, isolated kind of on rural islands and um, with lots of land in between getting to assistance and so we really wanted to provide some widespread um, benefit to individuals but also to organizations trying to provide additional services um, and then on top of that we are looking at providing um, some additional funding to help with basic needs around the county um, based on you know, individual needs as well as uh, their access to resources. And so, <clears throat> excuse me, so we have done that. And we have also taken a look and chatted with our board. We recently went through um, one of our largest funding cycles for grants, our community enrichment program, and also one of our other funds um, or other programs field of interest. And that is made up of a bunch of little ones. And we have had conversations with the board on how we can change that to potentially general operating. Um, we didn't change it across the board that all of that money can just be used for general operating. Um, we're a very high touch foundation. We work with our grantees really closely a lot because we are smaller. And so we're doing it on a case-by-case -case basis on what those organizations need from us. Uh, we've also very much relaxed our reporting guidelines at looking at offering lots of extensions for grant projects if grantees really you know, want to be able to accomplish that project and feel that they can, um, offering extensions and offering um, a lot of 
grace in the area of pulling in reporting and also being able to offer things as general operations. Um, I know back in 2007 and 2008, the foundation really offered a lot of general operating support grants at when we got into the longer term effects of what was going on, really some safety net things. Um, and so we'll be looking at, you know, how we're going to support the nonprofit community. Again, right now it's really supporting the nonprofit community for individual needs relief. Gotcha. But we'll look into that further. And Alice, I'm curious, this is a question that came in through the Q&A. When you move a grant, when you do move a grant from funding a particular project with a restriction to general operating, do you change the reporting requirements? Do you need document, do you want documentation on how the funds were spent? Or are you moving to more of a trust-based approach where you're just allowing them to then use it as they see fit? Yeah, that's still kind of being decided right now. I <clears throat> I believe that we're, we're working through um, some very strict kind of protocols and guidelines so that it's really clear to anybody who asks, it's very transparent what questions organizations were asked and how um, that grant got changed to a general operations grant. Um, as far as reporting for that, I would imagine we will probably go into the area of just needing some general information. We wouldn't need a super detailed information. So there's kind of a half and half between needing reporting and also allowing the trust in there um, without super deeply detailed info. Great. All right. And then we may come back to this when we get move on to adjusting grant making, but we've got a couple more hands raised. So let's take a couple more comments or questions, ideas around assisting grantees with immediate financial stability. I work for the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation, and we are basically, um, it sounds like we are doing the same types of activities as uh, our sister foundations. We, uh, our board did approve and was very receptive to providing uh, a, a substantial amount of funds uh, to make available for um, uh, COVID-related uh, grants. We're allowing general operations support uh, transitions within our current awards if grantees need them, uh, need it. And we are, uh, we have relaxed our reporting requirements as well. We've waived uh, some of our reporting requirements for COVID grants specifically. And we are definitely on a, um, a building trust type relationship reporting uh, with uh, the grantees that we've been funding for just straight COVID um, uh, support. And that's what I have to share. Thanks. All right. And I know we've got a couple hands raised. James, you had a point I know also relevant here. Uh, yes. Um, in terms of our current grantees, we have, um, you know, we're, we're allowing for reporting extensions that are very flexible, timeline changes of the projects or rescheduling events, um, things of that nature. Um, we're doing whatever we can to not ask for a refund. Um, so if in certain circumstances, they, these other um, options might not be suitable and we might have to do something else as far as that goes. Um, the board has been hesitant to just say, you know, take the funds and use them for whatever you need to. So we haven't been able to go down that particular path. 
the other thing that we've done is um, we had some funds that were left over from uh, a flooding incident that occurred some years ago. Um, and they were held in what we call a natural disaster fund. And so this circumstance absolutely fit that mission. Um, so we released um, at this point $30,000 to uh, our city uh, human services department, and they work directly with individuals and they're getting those dollars out for rent assistance and um, you know, other very basic needs, but rent assistance seems to be the big one for people. Um, we have other dollars that we think we'll be able to add to that as we go forward, but with the market doing what it's doing, um, we were being cautious. So there's that. And then we've also joined in a coalition with local funders, including United Way and some private foundations um, to try to get dollars out to uh, our nonprofits to meet the needs of individuals, the basic needs of individuals. And so I think um, we also were able to receive some dollars um, through us, you know, the Illinois State Fund. Um, and by the way, I'm at the Community Foundation of Northern Illinois, which is in Northern Illinois, obviously, uh, kind of north, northwest of Chicago. Um, so we've got some state funds, about $250,000 we were able to get out through that particular program, through the state, using state dollars. We've raised additional dollars that we'll be using in the second wave. Okay, so that's what we've been able to do to this point. Well, what we're trying to do, what we're doing now is looking ahead to award grants to support the longer term financial recovery of our nonprofits. And uh, we know that we're not going to have near enough funds to fill the financial void that's, that's developing um, and accumulating out there. Um, so we're trying to figure out how do we make the biggest impact, spread it out enough that it can uh, help as many nonprofits as possible um, and develop really criteria. I think it is. How do we decide who gets a grant, how much it is when it's not, um, it's, it's, and we also don't want the uh, process to become overly burdensome for the uh, applicants themselves. So I'm wondering if anyone else has developed some criteria in that particular case. I mean, to some extent, it seems like sort of a triage situation, who's in the worst shape. At the same time, um, you certainly don't want to put money into a situation where there's uh, a limited chance of them being able to be successful going forward. So those are the kinds of things that are on our mind. I wonder if anybody else is struggling with that. That's a great question, James. I think it's a nice transition to adjusting grant making. I think we're already kind of making that transition, but the second topic we were going to talk about, and I'm curious, as you're thinking about, boy, we've got limited funds, we're not going to be able to meet all these needs. You, you, you mentioned that you don't want to make a grant to an organization that may not be successful, and I can see that as a very real concern for a board who's got limited resources. Are there other factors when you think about those that you've already come up with, things that you're you know you've got to evaluate things you're considering taking into account when you look at how you do yeah evaluate. i mean well uh, what's interesting is is that you know as a primarily a project event program based funder um there's all these things that we would be asking about how those programs and things will work you know so you're looking at whether they're um they're practical whether it's something they can implement do they have the skill set to do that do they have the right resources they need to do that um all those kinds of things and it just feels like um this situation is different in that there's a need to be responsive for one um but then um also uh so many of them are having just basic, you know, uh, cash flow issues. 
And so we want to be able to get those dollars out there. So our typical approach really doesn't seem to work in this case. Gotcha. And I think what's interesting is that, yeah, I mean, I think, well, let's hear what other people have to say. Yeah. I, I'd be interested in, in, in feedback as we get into adjusting grant making on what people are using to evaluate opportunities, how they're looking at new opportunities. And, you know, when the criteria, old criteria doesn't apply, what do you use? Yeah. And I think um, one of the things, um, one of the things that makes it more challenging is that uh, with the, with, even with our board and then with the other funders, they're starting to develop what looks like could be um, a fairly um, intensive process of figuring out who to give the dollars to um, that may put a fair amount of burden on the, on the applicants themselves. So there's some concern there. Gotcha. Gotcha. All right. So let's go on, take our next caller. And as we move into adjusting grant making a couple of conversations that we've had already, what reporting requirements change also, there's been some good discussions in chat and in Q&A about how do you talk, you know, are your donors open to this? And now this new question of how do we reevaluate applications as they come in? What, what, are the, what, are, what, what changes? I'm with the Community Foundation of the Central Blue Ridge, and we're quite a small organization compared to big cities. But um, just a general thoughts here. I find it interesting that uh, many organizations have only now began to relax their reporting requirements. We, about two years ago, we relaxed all those reporting requirements and moved onto a trust-based relationship. And, uh, it, you know, it, it really has been uh, so useful to only know when they're having problems as opposed to knowing that they're doing what they're supposed to do. So that has worked very well, and it works very well in a situation like we're in right now because that trust has already been built. And then moreover, all our grants in the past have always been open for operating support. So those two things for general operating support, so those two things are not new to us. And um, so it has made the grant making a lot easier this time around. What sort of what we did immediately um, the beginning of March was we established a local COVID um, fund specifically and we created, like other donors have done, a coalition with the donors, with other donors in the area like United Way. But we also included in that coalition community leaders and we included city personnel. And the criteria that we used, so the, the, the fund started with $100,000 and now it's almost to half a million dollars and we've distributed over 80% of that fund within just a month. And the criteria that we use to determine that funding, to determine who gets funding, was um, to learn, it was on a needs, on a priority area of needs. So of course, rental assistance, food, access to mental health, um, things like that. All the organizations that were working in those areas um, had already filled out, it was kind of a converging with our community grant program because all the organizations in the area had already filled out their community grant application at the end of January. So they had a grant priority for operating expenses. So we sort of combined uh, 
the grant request for the local COVID fund with what they had said in their application. And we sent out a survey asking them, number one, do you need the funds now? And number two, do you wanna change your grant priority uh, to what you had expressed in your grant application? And then number three, um, what is your new priority and how much money do you need? And so we have a coalition meeting twice a week and we've really been very um, efficient in sending the, the money out, well, I hope we're being efficient in sending uh, the relief money out as soon as we understand the need. And then we we were, what what the result has been is that we expected this money to run out very quickly, but because um, other organizations noticed that we were giving to them. We also published all the grants sort of for transparency and accountability on our websites and the newspaper. So everybody knows who we're giving to and how much money. So they sort of use us as a base donors to give individually and other funders based on what we have um, given out. And we find that um, they're using the money very efficiently. And we thought the nonprofits, I mean, and we thought that we would have to, you know, within 15 days respond with more money, but they're getting other monies from outside sources as well. So that's sort of what we're doing. Great. And there are a few things in there that really jumped out to me, Christina. One, and I'm embarrassed to say I had not thought about this, um, is that you were able to use applications that you had as a basis for doing emergency funding. That seems like something that's really obvious, and I've not heard it mentioned before. People have talked about working with their current grantees, but actually, in, in many cases, we have data that even if you're going to go out reevaluate, we've got a lot of data on what's needed. And one um, sort of thumbtack I want to put in that interest to, to people to come back to if they're interested. One thing that we have done as a company at Foundant is looked at how we can provide some free services to help people through the relief fund. It's possible, and if you're a client of ours, you can talk to your client success manager that if you're not currently allowing applicants to copy past applications because it's not included in your license, maybe that's something we could look at, just turn that feature on through the crisis for you to make your applicants' lives a little easier. Um, that may shut down on or reduce time while giving you the ability to let them, you know, leverage all the work they've done in the past, but ask them a couple of new questions. There also may be, and this is something you need to work with your client success manager about, some ways of bringing in maybe past reports they've provided. There's some workflows we can look at to use that copy feature to help you fund new projects pulling in data from past projects. So I don't want to spend, I don't want to dwell on the technical side of it. That's just my inner geek, but it does strike me that one, it's important to look at what applications you have and what data you have if you're thinking about new funding and then to you know, talk to your client success manager about maybe how we can help you leverage that on the, on the, on the software side. Um, let's go ahead and take our next caller. Yes, hi everybody. Good afternoon, good morning, good evening, wherever you are joining from. <laughs> Excellent point. The last one that was just made about easing the um, restrictions on copying the grants from the past uh, application. 
to the new one uh, for some foundations. Um, I'm from SEG Foundation in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and I manage a program called Geoscientists Without Borders. And uh, this uh, really ties well uh, because our, our own grant making cycle in quarter one, quarter two of 2020, we had to adjust uh, by suspending this grant cycle, unfortunately, because uh, most of the grantee partners that we work with are higher education institutions. And uh, they informed us uh, prior to the deadline that they won't be able to meet the deadline because most of the um, most of the applicants didn't have any access to their universities or personals that were needed to sign off on their applications. So we have to make this decision uh, with our committee. They decided to suspend this grant cycle. And uh, we make grant cycles, uh, we make grants in two phases, phase one applicants, and then we choose, the committee chooses a few and then they go to the full application for phase two. So uh, the phase two applicants from this uh, quarter one, quarter two grant cycle won't have to go through the phase through the phase one cycle again for quarter three, quarter four. They'll directly be included in con under consideration for the full cycle um, that we'll be doing next uh, quarter. So copying the grants from the past application and be able to do for the new one, it's a great, uh, I think, a great uh, opportunity and a great incentive for all the foundations. So thanks for uh, mentioning that. Yeah, and men mention it to your client success manager. She can help you with that. Thank you very much. Yeah, we'll definitely uh, look up uh, whether we already have that feature or are we going to need it for the next cycle for our grantee applicants. Um, I'll make sure to check that one out. And then adjusting grant making for the rest of 2020, I definitely echo all the um, other points made by fellow attendees. Uh, there are a lot of apprehensions and um, uncertainty around board's decision or we are an intermediate intermediary foundation kind of uh, setup in which we receive grants from funders and then we make grants further to the applicants. So how the priorities might have shifted and how we are going to, um, uh, we'll not make any different criteria, but how can we make the best use of the funds that we already have and showcase that they were utilized to the best possible man in the best possible manner so that the grantees can leverage their GWB grant as well as we can also showcase to the current or prospective funders to continue the association that they have with us. Right, and this all happens in a context, whether you are raising funds and regranting them, working with private donors, as many of our community foundations are, or have a board of directors and have a foundation that was set up with donor, the intent of the original donor. There is sort of that, that translational process. Absolutely. Just, yeah. Yeah. Definitely, uh, all of those that you mentioned just now. So, Thank you, yeah. Flavi. Thank you very much. Let's go to our next raised hand. My name is Artisha Lawson. Can everyone hear me? Yeah, thanks for calling in, Artisha. Great, uh, I'm from the Greater Toledo Community Foundation. Um, just wanted to kind of share what we are working on. Um, so we did establish a COVID um, fund and we're calling it a rapid response because the grantee, which are the um, local nonprofits, will receive a um, either final determination or at least an update within 10 days. 
So we are navigating this very quickly through the approval process um, just to make sure that we're addressing the immediate concerns. Um, we're also connecting with um, one of our partners, the Center for Nonprofit Resources, just to make sure that we're tapping into all available dollars and all available resources because we know we're just a part of the solution. Um, just like we have a United Way partner where they also have announced um, their funding and, and their criteria, we're just trying to navigate what that gap looks like. Mm -hmm. um, and then um, we're also maintaining crucial transparent communication with key partners like the United Way and like the Center for Nonprofit Resources, just to make sure that there's no quote unquote territory, you know, where we're all trying to make sure that our nonprofits have what they need. So if we're coming up with a determination, we're keeping the United Way um, informed of like different decisions that we're, we're making in terms of keep in mind this nonprofit is probably going to apply for your fund. Um, we're also, as much as possible, operating uh, pretty much our standard grant calendar. So, um, you know, we, we have grants that are closing, we have grants that we're still processing, but we're also allowing the grantees to share if COVID has impacted them. And also having those discussions with the committees that oversee those grants to keep in mind that if there's a particular application that they are um, about to review, you know, are you allowing the, the grantee to propose a plan B? Or are you allowing them, you know, can we extend the project timeline? You know, is there something that we can offer so we're not just saying no? Um, for example, you know, COVID right now is very fluid. We don't know when quote unquote normal will return. So if a particular grantee, um, if their application mentions a summer activity, well, what does that look like? Are you allowing them to come up with a maybe virtual concept? Are you allowing maybe an extension out to the fall? Or are you totally taking them off of consideration? So we're having to have those conversations with the committees so that when I'm having a follow-up conversation with the nonprofit, I'm, I'm giving them a clear response. Mm -hmm. um, because I think that's fair. Um, and then also the fact that we're still operating as normal, I think is comforting to the nonprofit. So if they submitted an application, we're still completing those processes and we're still keeping them in mind and allowing them to communicate if there is a change, right. not assuming that there will be. Uh, so I think that's, you know, um, giving the nonprofits a voice and empowering them in this unsteadiness um, that we're that we're dealing with. Can I quote you on unsteady mist? I like that. <laughs> yes. I, yes. I, 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 I do also want to just 
Artisha, one of the things that really jumped out at me is that, you know, there were a couple points where you talked, where, where, where I could see how much you all know as a staff in what you said. And it strikes me that that's maybe important when you're going back to more traditional grant making. You're probably going to know more about the needs than the committee that's looking of volunteers that's looking at, you know, early childhood ed grants or whatever your funding is dedicated to. So right. particularly when you've got the, I, just that strikes me as really important. Now, I also think that knowledge of the staff comes in when you talked about those quick moving grants and that you're probably relying more on staff than on community volunteers as a community foundation when you're making those quick decisions. But that also you're then, it, it increases the, the need for that communication. Yes, yes. With the other funders, because these are moving quickly and because there is stuff that you know that your volunteers don't. All right. I really appreciate your comments, Patricia. Um, let's do one more comment on adjusting grant making, and then I do want to talk quickly about relationships because that's come up a couple times. Trisha Napolitano from Phillips Charitable Foundation. We are a private foundation. And we try to generally fund smaller charities that often get overlooked. Um, we are new to uh, Fondant this year. We started our uh, grant management system in January, and it's working out really wonderfully. Uh, we're finishing up our first round of uh, grant grants. So we did it from January to the end of March. <clears throat> so that's closed, and we're finishing giving the money out. Uh, so we focused, shifted our focus to the emergency funding when all this started up. We identified about 20 charities. Uh, two of them had been previous grantees and sent out emergency funding to each of them. We didn't ask them to fill out anything. We're not going to ask them for a report. We just sent it as a, an emergency donation kind of, um, which they're all going to be they were manually input into our system so that it's tracking for our money portion of it. My question is for previous grantees, such as the ones from 2019 and this year um, that we have funded that maybe aren't completed with their report requirements, et cetera. What happens if they go, you know, bust? Mm -hmm. How do we report that to the IRS? Like if, if we typically also do not fund, we don't help out with fundraising. Mm -hmm. So if they ask for something that was, that they needed fundraising for half of it, we most likely did not in, unless they already had the funding. We did gotcha. not. Give, right. Yep. So uh, our money wasn't just sitting there waiting for them to complete the task. So I guess that's really not, the full part of it, but what if that foundation goes belly up because they lack funding or fundraising on their own, if that's where they get the majority of their funds from? Yeah, I'm not sure how that would affect your reporting. It certainly is something to think about in terms of, do you make a grant? What do you expect of your grantee? Um, you know, that, that issue that we came up, we, we came across earlier when we were talking about, you know, how do you assess this new opportunity because you don't want to potentially see money go to an organization that closes its doors. Right. I could be wrong and we should get, um, if it, and this is actually maybe a good one too, to go to the broader community encompass because I don't know of people who have their hands raised, whether they can answer that specifically. Um, but 
Um, I, I can't think of a way that would impact reporting. It's still okay. a grant that you made. I don't see why that wouldn't be like a normal grant. And, and whether the organization goes bust or whether you fund the project that turns out it doesn't, you know, it's a new idea and it doesn't work. I mean, that's part of the risk we make as funders is, you know, we know we're going to make some grants that, you know, if we had perfect, you know, 2020 vision into the future, we wouldn't have made. That's the learning that we do. Okay. Um, at this point, I don't know that we do have time to get into relationships. And I apologize for the people who were interested in talking about it. Maybe we'll look at doing a, bringing that back when we do this in the next grant making coffee talk in, in two weeks. Maybe we can think about a specific talk just on that. I, I do think that there's some interesting questions about not just who do you work with and how do you know that beyond spending your dollars well, you as a group of funders are spending your dollars and putting them in the right place. Um, but I think there's some questions about pooling data and what can we do as funders to break down some silos so that we actually can be transparent as a group and see the relationship between potentially problems in the community and where funding is going. I think there's also some really hard conversations that we can have about how best to work with government because government's pockets are potentially deeper than what a lot of us bring to the table as funders. At the same time, they're a little more rigid. So how do you, are we, are we funding government? In some cases, that may be the right strategy to take. In other cases, we may need to coordinate with government to fund what they can't. And trying to figure out where government funds fit in this mix of, as a group of funders, how we're gonna address this large area, I, I, I don't think is easy. Um, but I also am afraid we do are just about out of time. And this has been uh, sort of overwhelming in just the response we're getting and what we're learning. It's not, maybe it shouldn't be surprising, but it is, um, you know, it, it certainly, you know, when I think about it at the end of the day, whew, you know, what everyone is doing, how they're doing it, how they're working together, how they're sharing it. it it's, 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 it's inspiring at a time when I get on a pretty dark place pretty quickly. Um, so thank you again for participating. And, um, you know, please keep us in mind. If you need something, please reach out to us. And I guess we'll see you on the next Coffee Talk. So that was our conversation. There were so many ideas and so many new ideas because this is a new situation. We're going to keep bringing you conversations like this following the coffee talks that we host online. If you haven't already, please subscribe to the podcast. You can look for announcements on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn by following Found in Technologies. And we want to hear from you. Unlike a lot of podcasts out there, you can participate yourself by registering for one of our Coffee Talk webinars. You can register for a webinar or access additional resources by clicking on the links in the episode notes. So from everyone at Founded Technologies, thanks for listening. We hope you found it helpful, and we can't wait to connect with you again on our next Coffee Talk 